And our gospel we read this morning comes from Matthew. It's in chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Um, this is sort of a part two of a conversation as we go through the um, sort of book of Matthew over the next couple of months. Parts of the book of Matthew over the next couple of months. This is sort of part two. Last week, you may recall, uh, Jesus said, look, you're going to be in a community. You're going to be in a church. Um, when that happens... It's not if, it's when. When you all quarrel with one another. When one of you all makes the other one upset, here's sort of what you need to do. Here's sort of the, the, the ideas of the, the, or the steps we need to, to follow. And then after that, Peter addresses um, Jesus as he continues this conversation of what does it look like to forgive. I invite you now to listen to God's word. Chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if any member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity of him, the Lord of this slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him by the throat and said, Pay what you owe. And his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me. I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and they reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you. If you do not forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Friends, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. A few years ago, Howard Stern was interviewing the actor Bill Murray. You know, Bill Murray, the, the comedian with all the antics. And towards the end of the interview, Howard Stern asked, Is there something you question in your life? Why... Like, why have I not found the great love of my life? Mr. Murray, Murray audibly excelled and let the moment pass in silence. Then he said, well, I think about that. I, I, I do think about that. You know, um, you know, what am I getting done here with my life here on earth? What stops you? I'm getting in touch with you, um, asked Robin Quizzers, Stern's long-term host. Again, Bill Murray takes a deep breath and says, what stops us 
from looking at ourselves and seeing ourselves is that we are kind of ugly if you want to look hard enough. We are not who we think we are. We are not as wonderful as we think we are. I wonder. I wonder if this parable that we're reading this morning uncovers the fragile nature of each of our lives. After Peter asked Jesus, how often should I forgive? Which, by the way, the religious tradition at the time was to give, forgive somebody for three times. When Peter says seven, he's being very generous. But Jesus says, no, not seven. Seventy-seven times. Which is really another way of saying, stop counting, Peter. And just keep working at it. To make his point, then Jesus tells this vivid, funny story in a rather painful way. A servant who owed the king a great deal of money was forgiven. But when that some same servant encounters another who owes him money, he refuses him forgiveness. Grabs him by the throat and demands repayment. When the king hears about it, he becomes very angry, reverses the decision to forgive, puts his servant in jail until the debts are paid. Which, given the amount of debt owed, means for the rest of his life. Anne Lamont says the three most terrible truths of our existence are we are so ruined, we are so loved, and in charge of so little. At first glance, we can look at the servant and think, he deserves what he got. And maybe he did. But let's take a step back for one moment. Perhaps the servant came out of this meeting with the king realizing that nothing in his life had changed. Sure, he didn't owe the king some large amount of debt, but the reality is that debt was so large, he would have never paid it back. The king was probably forced to give it to him in the first place. The truth is, the servant is now even more indebted to this king. Even more easily controlled by this king. Perhaps he looked back at this meeting thinking nothing is lost to the king at all. My whole family, my wife, my kids, every one of us is going to have to work the rest of our lives to line this king's pockets with money. In complete anger, covering up all this pain in his life, he takes the man that owes him money, puts on some facade of power, grabs him by the collar, and says, pay up or else. I wonder how often we found ourselves in that same situation. Sure, we didn't grab somebody by the collar. But after a bad day at work, we yell a little bit too loud at our kid for spilling milk. We shame the cashier for giving us the wrong change. We degrade a coworker for handing in an unedited report. Garrison Keeler said, we have always have a backstage view of ourselves. We let the audience see only the neatly arranged stage. But behind the curtain, there's all kinds of things lying around there. Oh, failures and hurts and guilt and shame. They tell us 
that we're living in a shameless society. And that people are no longer bothered by shame. But is it it's shame that plagues our souls? Shame that makes us grab someone by the collar. Shame the another yell a little bit too loud. Shame sweeps over us when we overstep our abilities. When our fantasies of who we think we are encounters the backstage of reality of who we really are, perhaps there is nothing more crippling to our souls than us working at hiding our shame. We think we're keeping the world out not letting the world get a glimpse of who we are. But in fact, all we're doing is keeping ourselves locked in. Did you know, in a native language of Jesus, forgiveness means to be free, to let go? Have you also noticed how often Jesus talks about forgiveness? Jesus was never, was forever walking up to, to folks and without warning, just saying to them, um, those, everyone he meets, uh, your sins are forgiven. And, oh, go, sin no more. Your sins are forgiven. What's interesting about that is almost no one that Jesus encounters ever asks Jesus for forgiveness. Jesus knew that without forgiveness, being the first word there would be no meeting God. There would be no meeting humanity, no meeting life. Centuries ago, the great theologian Augustine came up with this radical idea called preventative um, grace. It's that the grace, God's grace and forgiveness actually comes to us before we can ask for it, before we can even think about it. This grace, Augustine says, is the basis of our relationship with God, not our moral goodness, not our theological orthodox, and certainly not our religious credentials. It's all about God's grace. I heard it once said, God's forgiveness is the first word in the divine human conversation. It's as if when God created the world, the first word was not, let there be light, but rather, let there be forgiveness. In all the chaos, in the ruins of our lives, that's where God meets us. He says, you're forgiven. Cleans us as child. And names us beloved. It's there, maybe, that in our own pain that we find it hard to believe that God actually loves us. What if? What if in this parable it wasn't anger at the king for where the king's forgiveness left this man? Instead, what if what if the servant couldn't fathom that he was loved enough to be forgiven? What if the anger that he showed to the other slave was really pointed to himself and not the king and not the man he grabbed by the neck? I wonder how many of us can relate to that that we can't fathom that we are loved and forgiven. 
I wonder how our lives would change, how the world would change if we accepted God's love and God's forgiveness. There's a story about a father living in Chicago after his beloved oldest son graduated from high school. He started to distance himself from the family. He, he plunged headlong into a, a drug culture in Chicago. Uh, no one in the family heard from him over a year. Then one night at 2 a.m., they got a call from the police. We have your son. He's had a DUI. You have to come and pick him up. The father gets out of bed, goes to the precinct, and explains who he is. And um, He's there to pick up his son. They looked at him perplexed. They have no idea what he's talking about. It's Chicago. Sure, there's lots of precincts. So the father goes to the next precinct. And the same thing happens. And then he goes to the next. The same thing happens in another one. The same thing happens in another one. Again, the same thing happens. All the same empty looks. The father then decides to go to the last place he remembers his son living. Which is a crack house in the Derrick part of town. He goes in, he looks around, and he locates his son sleeping on a mattress in the back room. At 5 a.m., he looks down at his son. On one hand, angry that his son once again took him on this wild goose chase. And on the other hand, his heart melts as he watches this boy who slept in his arms just not many years ago. Now asleep in some hellhole. What do you do as a parent? There's not much playbooks for this scenario. On this night, the father bends down and kisses his son. And then he got up and left. A month later, the son shows up at home. He shows up again three weeks later. And then again, a couple weeks after that, after a long period of time, the son is living back at home. His father finally asked him one day, what happened? The son said, Dad, don't you know? It was that night. You know the night that you got the call? It was one of my friends playing a prank on you. We all laughed thinking about how you would go from one precinct to the next to the next, looking uh, for me with all blank stares. But the one thing that we never could have imagined is the one thing I guess I subconsciously was hoping for is that you would have come to this place where I was living. Dad, we, 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 we saw you coming down the street and all of us dove into our beds. I wasn't asleep that night. When you walked into my room and found me, I knew you'd be fierce at me. I was ready for you to kick the living tar out of me, so I just buckled up hard and tight. But you didn't kick me. kissed me. Dad, you kissed me. That changed everything. Most of us didn't wake up in a crack house this morning. But I wonder how many of us felt that gentle kiss of God. Urging us to forgive that one person in our life. It takes that, I believe. Just a gentle touch of God's abundant grace. Never giving up on us. 
This is why Jesus tells Peter there is no limit to forgiving. What Jesus knows, what Jesus is telling you and me, is it takes time. It takes time for that woman who's typing hashtag me too this morning. It, it takes time for that angry child who is angry at that drunk driver who took his mother away from him. It takes time for that grown adult that won't, cannot fathom forgiving their parents. It takes time for that couple who has said way too many harsh words to one another. Those words of Jesus to Peter is why the end of this parable is not about some eternal hell for all those that do not forgive. To read it that way goes against what Jesus says to Peter. It goes against everything in the gospel. Instead, what Jesus is doing is warning us that forgiveness is not just an individual, but it's communal. Jesus is warning us to not take out our anger on our own shame, our own wounds, on anyone else. Jesus is inviting us to live a life of humility, both of ourselves and of our community. When we are tempted by the world's desires, that invites humans into us versus them, good guys versus bad guys, the guilty versus the guilt-free, the saints versus sinners. In truth, we're all a little bit of all that. In truth, our lives work as followers of Jesus is learning and practicing gentleness and discipline and humility and forbearance. Our lives, our life's work is a gift of God's forgiveness. It's shaping our own life as disciples to not judge others. This parable is doing what the rest of the gospel is doing. It's inviting us to live into a larger life. A life with deeper empathy. A life with a, a wider awareness of the pain and the suffering and all the injustices and all the heartbreaks of the world. It's a call to you. It's a call to me. It's a call to Lillington Presbyterian Church to get up and do something about it. After the 2016 riots in Charlotte over a wrongful death of a black man, the then president of the NAACP, Reverend William Barber, wrote an editorial in the Charlotte Observer. And he writes, I am a pastor, and I will not condemn grief. As a young man, I was trained as a lifeguard, and I learned a long time ago that when people are drowning, their instincts can kill them and can kill anyone who tries to help them. If the lifeguard can get to the person drowning, the first thing a lifeguard is to say is stop struggling. Let me hold you up into this water. I will get us to shore. What if this parable, what if this parable is a call to you and to me to stop struggling? And I'm pretty sure that every one of us in this room is struggling to forgive someone this morning. 
whether it be God or ourselves or that man down the street. We're all struggling with one relationship or another. My advice, the advice of this parable, let go. It would be scary, yes. It's going to take vulnerability, yes. We, we may even struggle with what we learn about ourselves and about this world. And it will be hard, and it's going to take time. Let go. Our lifeguard, Jesus Christ, is saying to us this morning, I've got you. I'll swim us to shore. I believe that with my whole heart. I believe that because this is what I do know. When they nailed Jesus to the cross, and they left him hanging there, his strength fading. The life literally bleeding out of him, looking down, watching as his friends ran away, and the authorities mocked and taunted, and soldiers threw dice. What was left of his garments? He spoke seven times, the Bible said. And you know what he did not say? He did not say, you're going to burn in hell for this. He did not say, you will get yours one day. You'll be sorry. He didn't curse. He didn't say, may God literally damn you for this. No. Those who were there heard him simply say, Father, forgive them. And if Jesus can forgive them, my guess is that Jesus has already forgiven you. 